I'm David Clayton, and this is the Way of Beauty podcast, conversations on Catholic faith and culture. Hello, my name is David Clayton, and I'm here with Charlie Deist, and we're going to talk about the March for Eternal Life. Um, This is something that uh, we started last year, or really Charlie did, and I participated in a little bit, uh, and we're repeating it. And we're entitling this um, Protest and Pilgrimage, um, and we'll talk about what we're protesting about and why we believe that this is more than a protest, this is also a pilgrimage. And uh, I I will uh, talk about the structure of it and how I believe that um, this uh, follows the pattern of pilgrimage, and we'll come to that later. But Charlie, first of all, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your motivation again for uh, starting this? Tell us also um, how this differs a little bit from last year. We have a different route from last year, and and then also your what you're protesting about. Sure. So the 50 mile march or the march for eternal life, as you've uh, coined the term, is based on a, an old American tradition that dates back to Teddy Roosevelt, who saw that the armed forces, especially the the officer class, was not in as good a shape as they had been in previous times. Uh, They were getting rather corpulent, and already at that time, I guess some of these signs of sedentary life were starting to show. And uh, he believed that, you know, an officer in the army should be able to walk 50 miles over the course of three days no more than I think 20 hours of consecutive walking time. And so you could you know, spread it out over three days, but when you started walking on one day to the end of the walk on the other, that counted towards your cumulative time. And JFK revived this in his day, uh, starting with an essay that he published in Sports Illustrated after being elected, but before taking the office of the presidency, uh, where he lamented what he called the soft American. And I've been grabbed by this framing uh, of the, the, the trend, the decline in the physical health of our nation's population um, as someone who's had my own journey of recovery from sort of sick, sedentary life to uh, more of the vigorous life that JFK recommended. And Teddy Roosevelt, you know, talked about uh, take action or get action, I think was, was his expression for getting off the couch and becoming a participant in a, a more a physical uh, life, whether that was through sports and games or through your labor or through some other activity. And I think that walking is one of the, the few activities that is you know, almost universal. Almost everyone uh, who's lucky enough to, to you know, have uh, the mobility of their legs can participate in, people of all ages. And indeed, that's what people did in the United States after JFK issued or reissued this challenge. They just got up and started walking and turned it into this uh, tradition. Uh, In recent times, I haven't seen too many marches uh, of the same kind. It seems like the tradition has sort of fallen by the wayside. And so last year, a little ragtag band of us at the, the height of COVID hysteria decided to push back a little bit against this idea of you know, no meeting in groups outdoors. We said, this is ridiculous. The The disease, you know, is, is hardly a risk for people in our category anyway. 
And when we go outside, that's among the healthiest things that we can do, getting the vitamin D and you know, having wide open air. So all these things uh, kind of came together to produce the first annual march around all three bridges of San Francisco Bay. I think that we were the first people to ever do that because the pedestrian pathways have only been around for a couple of years on the Bay Bridge and the Richmond San Rafael Bridge. And like you say, you joined up for some. Uh, people joined up for anywhere from, you know, five miles to all 50. And so this year we're, we're splitting it up into two days, but uh, hoping that more people will join up for all or part of the march. And we're changing the scenery a little bit from the, the hard pavement of the uh, bay trail that encircles the bay. We're, we're going to the softer trails once walked by the Miwok Native Americans in the Marin Headlands all the way up to Point Reyes, which is where we'll start from. Coming down along the coast, uh, passing through Stinson Beach, Muir Woods, and then finally ending across the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. Right, and so um, when I heard you talk about this, let's go back to, to last year, uh, we scheduled it for around Pentecost, so it was 50 days after Easter, and it occurred to me that this is, uh, there's a sort of um, conjunction of three events in a way. You have the March for Life, which is uh, sort of in pre-Lent, I can't remember when it is exactly, but um, it's in that, certainly in that approach to Lent, and it is uh, a March um, affirming life in general, but especially, of course, the, uh, the unborn and uh, really as a protest against uh, abortion. Uh, very noble uh, thing. And, and it, there, there's a large March for Life in San Francisco, which uh, doesn't get much news coverage, of course, but it's certainly there. Um, then we have Lent and Easter, the season of Easter culminating in Pentecost. And you described this to me. I think it just happened to coincide with Pentecost weekend. So I said, well, why don't we think of this as a, uh, something that sits alongside the March for Life and, and the March for Eternal Life? And as much as uh, protest, it is uh, also a pilgrimage. Um, and it's 50 days. You had 50 miles and it's 50 days after Easter. So there's a nice parallel there. Um, and so uh, I, th I thought about that. Um, and I think also this year, it, 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 we're within the octave of Pentecost. I think it's the weekend after Pentecost, isn't it, this year that it takes place? So, right, May 29th uh, and 30th on Mem over Memorial yeah. Day weekend. Um, so the, the octave is, is especially appropriate, and I'll talk about that why later. Um, but the there is this sense, I think, that uh, we need to think about what to do. Um, um, there's a certainly in California. There is there. I have a feeling that the walls are closing in at times of the way that uh, the state has been run during this lockdown. Um, I want to be respectful towards uh, others' uh, sense sensibilities, but. Nevertheless, there is a point at which you think I need to start coming out and uh, actually making clear what uh, I believe about what's going on, which I think has been wrong. I think it's been mishandled. I think it's been a restriction on freedom and especially religious freedom. It's, it's as though um, our right to worship 
uh, has been impinged upon. Um, and so, in a way, it, this is a period of reflection building up to Pentecost uh, and then looking for guidance and each of us thinking individually how we move forward um, as Christians uh, beyond that. Yeah, and I think that it's important with respect to respecting people's sensibilities, things like that, is to always try to address the, the strongest possible version of the argument in favor of things like lockdowns or masks. And, you know, I think that the response to the freedom argument that I've also advanced tends to be, well, what about my freedom to uh, not get sick, that kind of thing. But I think that here is where it's really, it, it's important to just ask a question you know, what countries have advanced any kind of a policy in recent years that actually enhances the health of their population? I could give a whole long list of ways that government policies from agricultural subsidies to sort of perverse incentives in the healthcare industry make people sicker. And I think that when we look back on this whole chapter, we'll think about things like locking ourselves indoors for a year and, uh, you know, demanding that even young children wear masks when they're outdoors, that these things are not protective measures. They're counterproductive measures. They're what Ivan Illich would call iatrogenic uh, policies. They, they create a sort of medically induced illness uh, in the name of preventing it. And the, the sort of pathological pursuit of, quote, I'll call health or even life which was something that Illich also criticized as being something of an idol in the modern era. We talk about life in the abstract without actually talking about, uh, you know, human lives and living, the art of living. And when we sacrifice so much of uh, the, the actual act of living on the altar of, quote unquote, saving lives, that's where I think that we, we've really gone astray. Now, when it comes to California, uh, there's sort of a special resonance because... We're doing this in iconic places in California, the Golden Gate Bridge, Muir Woods. It's a beautiful place that prides itself on its outdoor attractions and, and the, the way that outdoor life has been sort of synonymous with, uh, with, with California. Or, you know, there's the, the surfers and the, uh, the hikers. It's, it's yeah. part of our DNA as Californians. And I'm a proud Californian. I've got my California flag here in the background alongside my, my American flag. Uh, and I think that the, the march, I'm, I'm going to be talking about this uh, in a couple of days to a group where I want to put a little bit of a political spin on this without being overtly political or falling into the, the traps that, uh, that we have in, in the partisan environment that we're in right now. And, you know, as someone who's generally libertarian leaning, I also recognize that there is a place for uh, not just rules and laws, but also kind of a, you know, national identity as well as a state identity. And so I think that what, what I want to tie into this, in addition to the, the spiritual element and the pilgrimage element, is uh, kind of, you know, that this is a way of projecting a, a love of California, calling Californians to lead the way in reviving physical culture at the national level. You know, JFK issued these rousing challenges from the 50 mile march to the presidential fitness challenge that really got people moving and got them outdoors and participating in, in physical activity in a way that they had not in some time. And he observed the decline that was going on up until that point. And I think that it's only gotten much worse since uh, his time. 
But I don't think that a national policy is going to address this as effectively as something that emerges from the bottom up, from the people who uh, just just Mm. decide to kind of, you know, in states like California, to not wait for permission, but just to get back to life. Get back to living, I should say. And yeah, yes. And of course, the one of the things, as I would say, has been the problem w- with these policies. One is the idea that that a central uh, authority knows what's best for each person and creates a template which is which affects every person. I, I don't I don't see how that is possible. Um, it seems to me far more sensible to give people the information and let them choose. Um, but. Uh, the, even when they have introduced those policies, there has been precious little consideration of anything other than the physical threat of this illness. So not only do they seem to have uh, not considered the consequences of these programmes, but in terms of other physical ailments, so that people aren't going to hospital to be treated for other things and are dying as a result of that also. But I think um, every bit as important but far more neglected is the spiritual dimension of man. Um, and, and if you don't acknowledge that, then it, 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 you really don't know what a man is for, what a, what a person is for. And so trying to develop um, policy, shall we say, for people when... You, you can't even decide what the purpose of man is, why, why we're here, what our goals in life are. Uh, it seems to me impossible. So that's why I like the idea of this being um, as much as a march, it's a pilgrimage. I want to build into it, in, embed within it, shall we say, um, some, a structure and a pattern that as well as acknowledging the physical, just clearly by the way we do it, acknowledges the spiritual dimension of mankind uh, because I, I believe as a Christian um, we we really can't do that and it is Christianity and um, God really which is the the basis of human freedom it's it's from acknowledgement of those things I think that uh, we have our ideals of freedom should we say in the West um, and so we need to assert that and and I like the fact that you start with the physical. What tends to happen is that uh, when people uh, react against overstressing the physical, because the, the, the bad side of all this is that California is also known you know, for sort of Venice Beach and the you know, bodybuilding for vanity and there's Hollywood and all that side of it. Now, um, the, the pursuit of physical fitness for health um, need not be um, simply uh, the promotion of vanity. Um, uh, it is good to be at a, a good weight. It is good to have muscle tone. Um, and we should not worry about those things. But I think what we do need to do is order all of this to our ultimate end and to um, the, the pilgrimage, which is this life, towards that. Um, and so... That is why I, I love the idea of this coinciding with Pentecost. Um, it's a march for eternal life. We're um, making it a pilgrimage as well. Um, and there's going to be prayer involved in this, um, which I will describe in a moment. I just wondered if you want to comment on what I've said before I talk about that a little bit. Thank you. Yeah, the idea of vanity versus 
I think you could kind of contrast it with purpose or even a little bit of uh, sort of our, you know, our, our natural end uh, as human beings, which is to be of service to one another. And the school of movement that I belong to, the natural movement school, is founded on the ideas of uh, a French naval officer named Georges Hébert, whose motto was be strong to be useful. And he saw how in a volcanic eruption off an island that he was stationed off of, only the people who were physically fit were useful in the rescue effort. So this motivated him to develop a whole uh, alternative mode of producing physically fit people that was rooted in real world capability. And there is the utilitarian component of being able to walk if you need to, you know, if, if the grid gets disrupted or fuel lines, as we've seen across the country, uh, you know, you might need to get somewhere on foot. And will you be capable of traveling 20, 30, 40 miles if you had to? Um, if not, then you might be more likely to sort of surrender to whatever uh, system comes along under the guise of uh, protecting you. I don't want to get conspiratorial here, but I do think that, uh, you know, this idea of a little bit of self-sufficiency or at least sufficiency from, uh, you know, the, the, the nanny state or the, uh, the, the, the healthcare state that comes to us in the guise of benevolence, but actually has its own agenda. Uh, this being physically strong is one way to resist that at an individual and community level. But the spirituality is also uh, a big part of the march. And it's, a, I think, a good example of mortification of the flesh, where you are teaching yourself, teaching you to put your bodily needs and, and comfort um, secondary to something that, that is a higher purpose. And so in the same way that prayer and fasting uh, are meant to discipline the body, uh, discipline the flesh, and, and allow the, the spirit to work. Walking a, a long distance like this, especially with a, a spiritual purpose in mind, um, has that effect. And it's not the kind of mortification of the flesh that we think of from the, you know, the, the medieval excesses of uh, putting, uh, you know, a, a chastity, or not a chastity, but what are the, the binding, the Oh, self-flagellation or yes, there are all kinds so, of self-flagellation hair right. shirts and all that sort you're, you're of thing. welcome yeah, to wear yeah. a hair shirt during the march so, but it's not recommended I... <laughs> um i should say that uh, you're how old are you 30 um, 31 31 uh in some prime of health I, i'm 58 uh i and i just wanted to say i've recently started your natural movement uh process so i've been going along every wednesday to a park in berkeley um for about six weeks i would say now and i've seen enough to be convinced that i'd like to keep doing it i feel certainly feel fitter and more flexible um and uh, i would just assert that um it's there is a dignity i think to seeking physical fitness um that uh has not been stressed enough in uh, amongst Christians um, so that it's accepted that work has a dignity to it and that that's work in the sense of physical labor but generally thought of in order to earn a living um, and that is certainly part of Catholic social teaching uh, but now we're in an office culture um, and so th there is many people are not engaged in physical labor uh, for uh, to earn a living but then there is ne nevertheless a dignity to phys physical labor 
Um, and I, I like the way that uh, the natural method approach is um, really harnessing natural movements, the, the, what we do naturally. So uh, it's, it allows us then to be, I think, more fully ourselves. Now, I don't want to overstress this, that this, this is all ordered to our supernatural end and it has to be put in its right place. But I think in understanding that we have a supernatural end, we don't want to swing so far in that direction like dualists who then disregard the importance of other aspects of life. And I know you're interested in nutrition as well and um, all of these things can be incorporated uh, into a, a Christian life and I don't think Christians have addressed this enough. So, yeah, I like the, the line. Uh, it's I just had to look up where it shows up, but it's in uh, Paul's first letter to Timothy, chapter 4. He says that uh, physical training or exercise is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. And some translations will say, you know, profiteth little or is of some value or is of little value. So you can read that kind of however you want. And if you're you know, if you enjoy certain kinds of exercise like me, and if you enjoy the pursuit of health, then you might read it as uh, putting more value on exercise. But I do think that, you know, this speaks to the fact that we have to have a sense of proportion about how we pursue mm. bodily health. And it can become an idol. Uh, it can become pathological, the pursuit of health. Yes. And if we were, if, but, but I think that, again, where natural movement, uh, makes this distinction is in ordering movement towards other ends and also limiting the amount of time that you spend in Hebert's old manuals. He talks about basically having a, a certain time of year when you're doing the training uh, in the summer months or times when the weather is nicer. Uh, he also was a fan of training in the elements. So there was a, a role for going out in the rain or, or when conditions were less than optimal, but it was meant to be, something done in a limited amount of time and sessions themselves are ideally, you know, 20 to 60 minutes. Um, it wasn't something that you spent your whole time doing. Um, and growing up in Marin County, I, I think that, you know, you get a little bit of the same obsession. It's a little different than Venice beach because it's, it's a little bit more of the, uh, sort of nature loving, yeah. uh, tree hugging biking. variety, yeah. Yeah. mountain biking, mountain hiking, biking, and, and, hiking. And, yeah. And those also have a communal element. Oftentimes they also have, you know, it, it's beyond just the, the health. And, and I think some people uh, encounter mysticism in, in a certain way and actually encounter God through places like Muir Woods, um, although they, they might not realize that the, you know, the fullness of truth isn't to be found in, uh, in hugging the trees themselves, that it's the, the creator of the trees who, who's more worthy of praise. Yes. Um, so I, I should say that in terms of the participation as well, um, I'm not gonna, I'm not planning on doing all 50 miles. I, I'm going to try and do, I think it's the 22 miles on the Saturday. Last year I did much less than that. Um, so you can join for a section um, and on the web page, on the wayofbeauty.org, uh, the podcast page, I'm going to put the links up there. Uh, is there anywhere where we can find details, Charlie, about this before we come back to the prayer structure of the, the march? 
Yeah, do go to my website, anaturalmethod.com. That's anaturalmethod.com slash March. And that has uh, an email sign up, not to sign up for the event, but just to get more details. And I'm going to send you a uh, guide to efficient walking technique. I call it the golden gate, as in G-A-I-T. How to improve your stride and make lighter contact with the ground, travel farther, faster, lighter, stronger, better. Just be a, a better walker. And you can practice that anytime you're walking. Uh, but the 50-mile march would be a, a great opportunity to really solidify this concept of a gliding gait. Uh, and whether you join up for the first day from Point Reyes to Stinson Beach, uh, that's the flatter portion. It's a little bit shorter. Or some portion of the second day where we'll be going from Stinson Beach up to Muir Woods and then uh, down a ways into the, the valley, uh, and then coming back up into the headlands and then back down across the Golden Gate uh, using this gate that um, that has been developed by... My, my guide is a synthesis of several thinkers, uh, physical culture uh, luminaries, including George Hebert, including uh, a physical educator named Ron Jones, who has a great video that, that I would also recommend. If you just Google gliding gate Ron Jones, you'll come up with this 10-minute video that teaches common inefficiencies, things like, uh, you know, not swinging your arms or swinging them from the wrong place. Uh, one big one that I'll just mention here, give you a little preview, is um, to, you know, you sounds so obvious, but you, you want to, you know, point your feet in the direction of the march. You don't want them spread out to the side, maybe a maximum of about 10 degrees, uh, so that your knees can hinge. It's just a two-way hinge. It wants to hinge backward and forward. And then keeping your eyes straight, looking in front of the path, but your head tilted down a little bit. Not forward, but just head down, eyes looking over your cheekbones to the path. And there's lots of little things like this that, that will just slightly improve your efficiency, but cumulatively they add up to a lot. Uh, and I don't think that the 50-mile march would have been possible for me if I hadn't been putting these techniques into practice. Um, and there's a whole offshoot in the guide related to footwear and minimalist foot, footwear, uh, the ultimate form of which is just going barefoot. I don't go barefoot when I'm doing long distances. Uh, I think that the technology of shoes can give us the best of both worlds as long as it conforms to the shape of the foot and not the other way around. Mm. Okay, and there are, um, you've broken the, each day up into various stages, I think. So presumably there'll be information right. as to how you can join at, at different points. Where you yeah. can join up and what times. The t yeah, the waypoints are listed with times of day. Because we're breaking it into two parts, we have a little more flexibility to stick yeah. around at each waypoint for 20 or 30 minutes or so to, to wait for stragglers and then to meet up with people who are just joining for part of it. So I would, you know, I, I hesitate to, to recommend anything across the board to anyone without knowing their level of fitness and how often they walk. Uh, but shoot me an email also. And if you sign up for the email list, just reply to that initial uh, intro email with the guide and ask me, you know, which, uh, which section, if, if you're living in Northern California. If you're living somewhere else, then I would recommend maybe trying to Get together your own March, uh, if not this year, then on for, for next year or for yeah. later on this year. Summer's just beginning and things are you know starting to kind of uh, reopen and fits and starts. Although I do think that there's a risk just to bring it back to COVID and the kind of protest angle 
that as soon as there's any kind of spike or if mm. the immunity from the vaccine starts to wear off, we could be right back into the same situation that we were in last March uh, with an indefinite lockdown. And I think that that's where we have to be ready. Now we've seen how the system works. We've seen what kinds of uh, arguments are used to, to quash uh, dissent. And I think that we can be better organized to, uh, you know, not, it, it's not about uh, uh, getting in people's faces. It's really just about uh, maintaining composure and living our lives uh, in the face of those who would, who would try to uh, mm. shut them down in the in the name of which life. uh we, and we need uh divine wisdom i would say in order to know how to do that which brings me this brings me to the spiritual uh dimension um so charlie and i uh, first of all if people come and they don't want to pray we're going to pray at various stages and we're going to sing our prayers and we're going to sing the psalms uh without embarrassment although we may embarrass others i don't know um and but the point needs to be made that um, you're free to join in but you're free not to uh, so you, this doesn't need to be a central aspect of this for you if this doesn't correspond to your beliefs but it certainly is for me and uh, i'm just going to talk a little bit about the pattern of this the structure of this the numerical pattern um, and uh, how in some ways it reminds us and uh, allows us to conform to the liturgical pattern of life that um, is expressed at its pinnacle in the worship of God, of course, uh, in the, the, and the Eucharist, where we encounter God uh, through communion. Now, first of all, there's the symbolism of this number 50, uh, and uh, the number 50 is 50 days after Easter and, and it's connected therefore to the Holy Spirit and Pentecost and the uh, it's actually seven uh, seven weeks it's actually eight octaves uh, so you have seven sevens of 49 plus one and so the the idea is that seven symbolizes the old covenant the old order seven days in the week as we know and originating from genesis um, and then christ is the eighth day um, who so he ushers in the new covenant uh, and through this we are um, the the supernatural life is opened up to us and um, so that symbol of seven plus one um, is very important and uh, Pentecost is seven times seven plus one so it just emphasizes that idea now um, the Psalms are uh, fundamental to the prayer of the church and uh, have been um, right the way through uh, it's we know that for example the Apostles uh, prayed the Psalms there's reference to Peter going up to the temple to pray at a particular hour of the day and the tradition is to pray the psalms eight times during the day that is the tradition of the church um, as a so we have um we celebrate the on sunday the it's sunday is simultaneously the eighth day of the week and the first of the next so it, in fact on sunday we celebrate each week the uh, an, another octave of Easter so we celebrate octaves of Easter through the year um, 
we're doing this on the octave of Pentecost, so eight, on the weekend that, uh, on the, and the Sunday would be eight days after Pentecost. We pray eight times, and this symbolism, um, it's believed, is, uh, it points us to these uh, deeper truths, but also that in conforming to this pattern of worship, um, we are made naturally to uh, to worship God in this way. And so in a way, these patterns and these traditions are seen as guides, as guides to us to uh, worship most, uh, most beautifully, shall we say. So we're going to do a, at, at each station, and I'm hoping there will be eight occasions somewhere during the course of the day. If not, um, we'll work something out. We'll make them. Okay, good. Um, and Charlie and I are going to sing a psalm, and that for each of the eight offices, which is you, what you call these um, occasions during the day that you pray, there are traditional psalms that are sung. So we will just sing one psalm. We'll have an opening prayer and a closing prayer, and then a Traparian to the Holy Cross, in which we pray for the country um, and God's help. Um, in victory over its enemies we pray for the nation and the idea here is to acknowledge the nation as a natural as association of man and so that's for the USA and within that the state as well uh, as Charlie was pointing out um, and the measure of that victory if God is guiding us is not conflict but peace uh, we may have to fight for that but the measure we what we want is peace but there is a battle here uh, firstly a spiritual battle we want to engage with it um, and so we're going to sing the psalms on those occasions uh, Charlie and I will get together I, I, he, I'm going to commit him to this and we will practice a little bit beforehand and so we'll sing both the melody and a drone which is a sort of a very beautiful way of singing them and people then can join in always can join in because even if they don't know the melody they can sing the drone and they can sing the psalms with us um, and we will do this proudly and um, for me this is uh, really what transforms it's informing a march and making it a pilgrimage which is uh, an enlightened if you like an enlightened protest um, so you have this pattern of eight you have this pattern of 50 and something very interesting that I read today, and this is just me sort of projecting this, is that there, there are actually 150 psalms. Um, and Thomas Aquinas said that uh, the psalms, are in some ways, are the most important book in the Bible because all the theology is contained within them, within the, the sentiments and the ideas that are expressed in the psalms. Um, it, it summarizes what went before and anticipates what, what went what came afterwards and so when we sing the poetry and the songs of the psalms we immerse ourselves in that story which is a, a pilgrimage uh, to eternal life and so we are participating in that now there are 150 psalms and so if 50 is the number of the holy spirit one of the persons of the trinity there are three lots of 50 interestingly the 50th psalm, if you use the numbering of the um, Septuagint, which is uh, the traditional 
Greek version of the Bible that was translated into Greek, I think, two to three hundred years before Christ. Um, and so if you use that numbering, which, for example, the Eastern Church uh, uses as standard, you might have noticed, for example, that Psalms will have Psalm 50 brackets 51. Um, it's because there, there are alternative numberings. But if we use the Septuagint numbering, Psalm 50 um, is uh, the one that is repeated most during the day and, in a sense, summarises everything it, it, it's oh god have mercy on me a sinner uh, a very famous psalm i should have it to hand and i could give you the opening words but it that psalm is traditionally repeated uh three times during the course of the day actually um at morning prayer at the ninth hour and at night prayer at compline and so you have three lots of 50 um so making 150 and if you add it and then so there's a nice little um, symmetry in all of this I think and so we will aim to say that 50th psalm three times during the day as part of this, this what we sing um, and uh, along with the other uh, common psalm or, or traditional psalms for the offices and we expect it, it it's not going to be long we're, we're cutting them down to a bare minimum but it might be 10 minutes for each office and we will sing them and then uh, this will focus us I think uh, certainly I, this is what I think will happen for me um, on uh, the wider uh, mission of of all of us which is to evangelize which is to draw people to Christ and that actually brings me to one of my motivations of wanting to be involved in this right at the start last year and that is you, you talked about wanting to provide a lead from the bottom up in a way and um, that in many ways is what happened in a negative way um, from I don't know the late the 50s onwards beginning in Berkeley in the in the Bay Area so much of what is problematic um, originated there and certainly the influence originated there and so I felt for a while that I, I want to do something uh, towards the evangelization of the Bay Area and I feel if we can evangelize this area and I agree with you it's not about instituting programs it's inspiring people to be Christians and and affect each other through a lateral you know interpersonal connection um, grassroots um, outwards from the grassroots and then up um, and so that is my one of my goals as well uh, all, all the ideals you had for state and country but I, I would love this to be the epicenter of something for good rather than for bad for a change <laughs> um, and that this so uh, this in a way is uh, my contribution to that well, we've talked about uh, kind of trying to provide an alternative to the uh, Eastern mysticism that's so popular in the Bay Area uh, with, with yeah. some sort of a, I don't know if, if Western mysticism uh, is the proper way to frame it, but uh, to provide a, you know, a kind of a Christian alternative to yoga and the uh, craze yes. that, that has coupled physical uh exercise movement with spirituality so successfully but where they're really not getting at the the fullness of truth and um and i think that 
even little things like marching technique uh, can play into that in a way. Um, one, one of the things that I think provides a uh, challenge or really makes it a true alternative to yoga, the difference between natural movement and yoga is the emphasis on moving through space, or you could call it, uh, there's a word that, that Heber uses that I'm blanking on right now, but basically it's, it's locomotion, uh, that, that locomotion and actually moving through space is, uh, becomes a, a bigger part of it, whereas yoga is more about stationary poses. Uh, and if you think about, you know, a, a life of, um, an active life of contemplation, we need both. We need the periods when we are uh, immobile. And I think that just, you know, static prayer postures, uh, the, the kneeling, traditional kneeling posture, uh, coupled with uh, more active movement, but with a little bit of a, a, a spiritual component, um, that that provides one of the ways out of this uh, rut that we've been in for maybe the better part of 60 years since the 1960s. Uh, and, and I think that the quality of our thinking has gone down just as dramatically as the quality of our, our physical fitness. And that was one of the points that Kennedy makes in his essay that, uh, called The Soft American, where he's saying that, you know, it's uh, a healthy body is one of the keys to a, a healthy mind. And it's, it's sort of a subtle and complex relationship. Um, not much is understood, but he writes, we do know what the Greeks knew that intelligence and skill can only function at the peak of their capacity when the body is healthy and strong, that hardy spirits and tough minds usually inhabit sound bodies. Uh, and he also writes that, you know, we're hoping that we are not uh, training our, our youth to make them, we're not trying to make them more effective warriors like the ancient Spartans. Um, and our hope is that Americans will not need to fight in another armed conflict like that. Uh, instead, it's supposed to be the basis for peacetime, like you were saying in that psalm. Uh, let the, what is it? Let the something be the measure of, what, what was the line? Oh yes, the 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 measure of victory is peace. The measure so of victory is peace. Yes, and so we're praying for uh, the victory of our nation over its enemies, but the uh, the measure of that is peace. That that's what God offers us, and it is a, it's it's as there is a spiritual battle. I mean, we're tra I'm training, should we say, even at 58, uh, to be ready for that. And I hope to be able to engage in that even more vigorously as I get older. Um, and, that, and that does involve uh, a, a physical element, but all of these things need to be ordered towards our ultimate end. Just to come to the point about yoga, I think, I think, it's interesting how successful that, that has been. And I think in part it's because there is something good about the physical exercises that is offered. But also the fact that it even makes an effort to connect the physical with the spiritual. Uh, and it does so in a flawed way. It tends to lead people from what I've seen into, it certainly gives an acknowledgement of the, the spirit of the person, shall we say, if you think of uh, body, soul and spirit in the, the, the sort of Christian anthropology. So we have a, 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 a spirit within us, uh, but what it fails to do and therefore limits the happiness of those who follow it is to allow us to make that connection between 
my spirit and the spirit of God, a transcendent God. It tends to be a, limited to an inner search, which is restricting. Uh, but nevertheless, it, it, to, it's exhilarating if you've never had any conception of a spiritual dimension to be suddenly to become aware of that. And the great uh, strength of yoga is it, it engages first with the physical and then awakens people to the spirit within, shall we say. What uh, And Christians just haven't had anything to compete with that. And this is what I see in what you're doing, Charlie, is something that does this. And that, but also in the way in which we're working together, I know on, on this, but um, that what the goal here is to ensure that it, it is not a search that's limited to the self, that actually then we then go beyond the spirit of man is, is that aspect of us which is in relation to God, which can reach out beyond ourselves in a sense. And that is adding to anything that any anything else can give you. This is greater, it is more complete, and therefore offers a happier and better life. And if we're right, people will see that in us and they'll, they'll want it. That's why people went for yoga, because they saw something in those who were doing it and decided they wanted it. And that's what I believe. I think we've got, we're onto something here. It's not just all these different ideas, it's the combination. And in a sense, that this march symbolizes it for me. Well said. I uh, couldn't have said it better myself, and, and I like the synergy that, that we've developed with, uh, with our, our two perspectives. So I hope we can really continue, and, and like you say, from the bottom up, it might be, uh, you know, start small. And, and last year we had about 10 people participating. This year maybe we'll have 20. And next year, who knows? The sky's the limit. That's right. And, and if you can't get there, think about starting something like this yourself. OK, this is that's the whole point of bottom up. <laughs> you know, you know, we don't we don't sort of parachute in and start issue a template. You work something out. Um, and uh, once again, it's a natural a natural method dot com. So starting with the letter a a natural method dot com forward slash March and then you'll start to get the regular uh, news bulletins from Charlie as to how you can join in. That's right. Thank you, David. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to the Way of Beauty podcast, conversations on Catholic faith and culture. If you enjoyed this episode, then please give us a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others to find it too. Also, if you're interested in delving more deeply into the material that we discuss, you can do a course at the Pontifex University website. That's pontifex.university.